morning, church. Morning, Harvest Church. So great to be with you this morning. And uh, as Ryan mentioned, I am from Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie and have the distinct privilege of being the interim youth director there. And uh, we are seeing God do some amazing things in our church. And I bring you greetings uh, from our church as well. We love you. We uh, love being able to hear and see what God is doing in your midst. And uh, it's a particular blessing for me to be able to be here and see the beautiful new building that the Lord has blessed you with and another incredible tool in uh, your arsenal to be able to uh, go forth and proclaim the gospel in this place. So uh, great to be with you. And uh, of course, you know how blessed of a church you are to have uh, your lead pastor, Kai, and uh, the faithful man of God that he is. I've had the distinct blessing of being able to sit under his teaching uh, many times and be able to be encouraged and challenged as he is a faithful herald of God. God's Word, and so it is a great privilege for me to be able to open up God's Word for him this morning. Now, do you have your Bibles ready? Are you sure? (laughs) Do you have your Bibles ready this morning? Good, excellent. Get them open to uh, the book of Ephesians, uh, the uh, letter of the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus, specifically chapter 3, and we'll be working through verses uh, 14 to 21 uh, this morning. And as you're just kind of getting set for that, I have a couple of phrases actually for you to throw up on the screen. So take a look at those for a second. You might recognize some of these. Uh, Here's the first one. I will what I want. How about this next one? Uh, Do you recognize this? Find your greatness. Or it starts inside. Rule yourself. If you haven't recognized any of those, I'm sure you'll recognize this one. Just do it. Right? Right? Now, these are all different phrases coming from marketing campaigns of different companies that are all seeking to do one thing. Inspire and empower you to find the supposed inner strength that you apparently have in you to do whatever you want. These companies are telling us that we can achieve anything that we desire. We can be our best selves, live our best life, face whatever we face in our lives head on and overcome it if we just tap into that inner strength. You can do whatever you put your mind to, this world and these companies say. If you just believe in yourself, dig deep, bear down, and make it happen. And while you're doing all of that, make sure you use our products because it makes doing all of that easier. That's what these companies say, right? Now, before you go and, like, burn all of your Nike clothing or call me crazy for thinking or being way too crazy about all of this, what I hope you see here is that Advertising and marketing companies are catching up with an ideology that has been rampant in our society for a really long time. The world around us preaches that you have the strength within you to do whatever you want to do. But God's word tells us something different, doesn't it? Right? In fact, the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Romans, uh, chapter 7, 18, said, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Here's the truth. Are you ready for it this morning? You don't have it in you. Okay, you don't. Nice, lighthearted start to a sermon from a guest preacher this morning, right? You don't have it in you. You're weak. I'm weak. We're a mess. We do not have it in us. You see, the chief purpose of the life of a follower of Jesus Christ is to bring glory to God with all that we do. That should be our goal. That should be our utmost desire. But we do not have the strength within us to pursue or complete 
that task. Despite our best intentions, we do not have the strength to live a life of holiness deserving of the approval of God. And we are engaged in a battle on three fronts in our world today against our sinful flesh, against the sin-plagued world that we live in, and against the forces of evil in the spiritual realms. And we do not have the power or strength on our own to gain victory on any of those fronts. To seek to do this life on our own is a losing battle every time, and the Apostle Paul recognized that. And that's why we see here in Ephesians chapter 3, as we'll study and look at it this morning, a prayer from the Apostle Paul to the Ephesian believers to seek true spiritual strength. It's a prayer that we'll study and seek to learn from this morning, a prayer that we too should be praying in our lives in order to receive the spiritual strength that we need today, tomorrow, and in every single day of our lives. So all that being said, let's do what we have before us this morning and get into God's Word. Let's read it together. Follow along with me as I read Ephesians 3, starting in chapter 14, or starting in verse 14, I should say. Paul writes, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together, church, as we get into God's word this morning. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. We thank you already, Father, for the time that we've had in worship, the time that we've had together. Father, we pray that as we open your word now, as we stare into your very face and seek to glean from what you have to say to us this morning, how you would desire for us to live our lives, I pray, Father, that you would move and work in this place to draw us closer to you. Father, I pray for those who are here this morning, who are coming in bearing the burdens of life, who are beaten down and discouraged who are struggling under the weight of sin and temptation. God, who don't know where to turn. I pray for those people, Father, that you would lean into them this morning, that you would meet them here, Father, that you would show them that you have true spiritual strength available for them this morning. Father, I pray for those who are here who are experiencing the joy of their salvation and their relationship with you in a way they've never experienced before. God, who are flying high in their relationship with you, in their closeness with you. I pray, Father, that you continue to encourage them and spur them on to continue in their relationship with you, passionately pursuing you in all these things. And Father, I pray for any here who don't yet know you. I pray, Lord, that you would be showing yourself to them and showing yourself good to them revealing to them their need for you, for forgiveness of sins and for a restored relationship with you, our Heavenly Father, our perfect, holy, majestic Lord. Do all of these things, Father, we pray for the glory of your name and the fame of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, 
True spiritual strength is not something found in ourselves. We've made the distinction of that already this morning, but it should be something that we receive. It must be something we pursue. And so four clear distinctions, four characteristics of our prayers to the Lord as we seek to receive true spiritual strength. So in my pursuit of spiritual strength, I should pray, see this first with great humility, knowing who I'm talking to. And our passage this morning starts out with this phrase, for this reason, and it's important for context's sake for us to understand what's going on in the book of Ephesians here as we get started in this passage. And uh, the letter of Paul to the Ephesians is broken up into two different parts, the first three chapters being a deep theological and doctrinal distinction of Paul to the Ephesians and to us by extension on who God is, on the incredible work that he has done in us and through us through his son, Jesus Christ. And then the the, the second part, the last three chapters, are a practical guide on how to live our lives in light of all of that. And, uh, but we see here that Paul is moved to prayer in response to God, the discussion that he's had already on God's redemptive work through Jesus Christ. So what cannot be missed here is the importance that Paul puts on, his, on prayer in his life. Okay, prayer is crucial for us. Prayer is a critical aspect, a critical characteristic of the life of the follower of Jesus Christ. It is our lifeline to the divine. It is the means by which we align ourselves with God and his will in our lives. And prayer in itself is an act of humility as you recognize your need for God to move is greater than anything else that we could do on our own. You see, without prayer, nothing else matters. And as we approach God in prayer, so important that we have the right attitude. And just like Paul does, does, as we read that he bows his knees before the Father. And whether or not Paul actually bowed his knees as he wrote this is, is not important. But what he's getting at here is the importance of having a heart attitude, a heart posture of humility in prayer. You see, bowing your knees is is, is a submissive action that is done out of great reverence to the one that you're kneeling to. It exudes humility as you place yourself under the authority of another in an act of complete surrender. And in this case, Paul says that he is kneeling to the Father, right? A name that we know describes God's tender-hearted, loving, caring nature for those whom he loves, for those in his family. It's a great picture for us of the love that God has for us, but then not only that, Paul goes on to clarify in verse 16 that this father is the one from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. See, when you pray, do you understand who you're praying to? See, we are not just children going to our heavenly father, which is an incredible picture of the love of God for us and an aspect of the nature of God that we may never fully understand. But when you go to God in prayer, follower of Christ, you go to the God in whom you should find your very identity. You go to the father that all people, whether they believe in him or not, owe their existence to. You go to the same God that all believers throughout all time and history have gone to in prayer. You go to the Father who is supreme over all creation and yet intimately cares for you. You go to the God who made a way for you once alienated from him to be in restored relationship with him and to enjoy all of the benefits of that. And the promise of life eternal, you go to the God who made your salvation possible through his son. When you pray, 
understand who it is you're praying to and go before him humbly. And truthfully, it's, it's amazing to me how God can use uh, different times and circumstances in our lives to, re- to reveal different aspects of who he is in greater ways. And, and I feel as if I, if I could speak personally for a moment, I feel as if I can understand this aspect of the nature of God in, in a different way than I ever could uh, before in my life. I, uh, my wife Emily and I are getting used to living uh, as a family of three. We welcomed our daughter Annie uh, into our lives just four months ago. And uh, needless to say, she has me completely wrapped around her finger. Completely. Uh, actually, interestingly enough, a couple weeks ago, she gave me this look. Do we have the picture? There it is right there. <laughs> what am I supposed to do with that, right? Like, the sass in that picture, eh? So, you can take it down. It's too distracting. But... <laughs> Like, I genuinely think that my wife, Emily, is starting to get concerned that she's going to be the only one responsible for rearing our child, because I'm just going to be a spineless mess throughout her entire life if she keeps that up, right? But I understand that things get a little different when the full weight of their ugly sin nature reveals its head. Veteran parents in the room, yes, right? But these four months have revealed to me weaknesses in my life that I never fully understood. In the same time, they've revealed to me the incredible love of my heavenly Father as uh, the words of Jesus in Matthew 7, 11 can continue to just ring true in my ears. If you then, he says, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? If you're a dad or if you aspire to be one one day, if... uh, you had a great relationship with your earthly father, or if you don't. The truth is, we have a perfect heavenly father that loves us perfectly, way better than I could ever hope to love my daughter, way better than any earthly father could ever hope to love their children. In your prayers, recognize that God is far more willing and ready to come to you than you ever are of coming to him. And enter into your prayers humbly as you understand who he is, a heavenly father loving and ready to receive the prayers of those who love and follow him. But then on the other hand, understand that we pray to a God who is sovereign and mighty and like Paul says, worthy to be approached on bended knee. And Jesus himself recognized that and gave us an example just as Paul does here in Ephesians 3 in Matthew 26 as in the time before his betrayal, Jesus, and going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And if anyone had a claim to not observe an attitude of humility in prayer, it's Jesus. But he falls on his face before the Lord. He addresses him as my father and prays that his will be done. You see, the first, prayer, the first step of prayer in general is understanding our place before the Lord and coming before, it, before him humbly. But certainly, of pursuing spiritual strength from the Lord is that when you pray, you need to enter into it humbly. Understand fully and exalt passionately 
the power and the strength of the Lord and recognize and appreciate the opportunity that you have. That's the first step. Have the ear of your heavenly Father inclined to you in prayer. That's the first step. The first step of prayer in general and certainly of our pursuit of spiritual strength. And in doing so, as we approach the Lord humbly, we recognize that he is the source of true strength and we are not. So in my pursuit of spiritual strength, I should pray, see this next, with eager anticipation, knowing where true strength comes from. And in verse 16, we see here Paul jump into the content of his prayer, saying that according to the riches of his, speaking of God's glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. And we see some key things about true spiritual strength here. The first thing that we see is the means by which strength comes is through the riches of God's glory. In keeping with God's very, God's very nature, he gives strength according to the fact that he is infinitely glorious. And the pastor John MacArthur illustrated this point by saying, and I hope this brings some clarity to this, for a millionaire to give 50 or or $100 would be to give out of his wealth. But to give $25,000 would be to give according to his wealth. The greater a person's wealth, the greater his gift must be to qualify for giving according to his wealth. And the incredible thing, the incredible thing about understanding that God gives strength according to the riches of his glory is that the riches of his glory are inexhaustible. They never run out. The supply of strength that we have from our radiant, great, and glorious God is never ending. We see examples all throughout Scripture of people experiencing just glimpses of the glory of God. The glory of God. One of the ones that I love the most is uh, in Habakkuk, and, and the prophet Habakkuk in uh, chapter 3 uh, says that his splendor, speaking of God, his splendor covered the heavens, And the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand. And there he veiled his glory. See, the very glory of God cannot even be fully known to us. And true strength comes from the infinitely perfect, infinitely majestic, infinitely glorious God who is sovereign over all. The true strength that we're talking about here, the true strength that we should be pursuing, the true strength we need pours forth from the, various na- the very nature of our glorious God, which is a truth that we can trust in a power source that will never fail. How encouraging is this for us, right? Because I know that there are some of you coming in here who are feeling the weight of your own personal weakness. Even even the seemingly mundane day-to-day of our lives, the nine-to-five grind is enough to send us to the couch after work to just chill for a bit. Our lives are busy and hard and difficult, so much so that it causes us to pack our bags, hop in the car, drive to the airport, and take off for a while just to be away from it, just to rest for a while. We understand that our strength runs out, let alone should trials and difficulties come our way that can beat us down and take us out physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Listen, church, God's got strength for you. 
But where our strength runs out, God's is never ending. It's inexhaustible. It's readily available to us should we ask for it because it's rooted in who he is. God's strength supply never ends. He grants it to us and then he applies it to our lives. We see here in verse 16, through his spirit. And we understand as followers of Jesus Christ, at the time of salvation, God grants us his Holy Spirit to aid us in our walk with the Lord, to aid us in this life. And we understand that the role of the Spirit then also is to, is to empower us in our lives with the power supply of God. And just as we can rely on God's power supply never ending, we can also rely on the Spirit's working to manifest that strength in our lives, to empower us as we seek to live out the commands of God, to live out the call that he has put, us in our, put on our lives, and to live obedient to him. And then that empowerment comes, again, verse 16, into our inner being. It penetrates into the very nature of who we are, and it transforms our lives. Listen, God's strength is not a five-hour energy shot that runs out after. Raise your voice and tell me, how long does, how long does it take for a five-hour energy, energy shot to run out? Five hours. It's in the name. It's really easy. It's okay. I know it's early and cold. It's fine. I get it. Stay with me. Okay? God's strength in our lives, which manifests itself in our lives through the Holy Spirit, penetrates into the very nature of who we are and changes us from the inside out. Okay, it doesn't treat the symptoms of our lives. It goes right after the core. This strength is an empowerment that dives into the core of who you are to impact the nature of your life. That's what Paul's getting at when he prays for his readers to be strengthened in their inner being which transforms our lives as it empowers us to live for the glory of God. Okay, so see this next, understanding that. The third thing is that I need to pray with the right motives, knowing what true strength empowers, okay? And there's four key things, four key things that we see here that true strength empowers. Okay, because God's desire for our lives is to make us more like his son so that we can bring increasing measures of glory back to him. And in the pouring out of spiritual strength in our lives, here are the four key things that the strength given to us by God through the Holy Spirit empowers in us. See this first, that true strength empowers a deeper faith. And this comes right out of what Paul says here in the first part of verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. We understand that the salvation from the power of sin and death comes through faith. And at the moment that you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he sets up shop. He takes up residence in us as he takes our place in the great transaction. He takes our sinfulness upon himself and we receive his righteousness before God. It's it's as Paul says, what Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. But we recognize that it's not simple enough to just stop there. Okay, a life that has faith, a life that has received Jesus Christ, must also be a life changed by Jesus Christ, and therefore, Galatians 2.20 continues. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, the faith that we have in the sacrifice and glorious resurrection of Jesus Christ must be a faith that is growing deeper and deeper, and deeper faith comes from living it out. Depth of faith comes from standing the tests of our faith that God allows in our lives, that God gives us the strength to withstand. So listen, when God allows the ridicule from friends and family in your life for what you believe, when God allows the opposition from those around you in your life for your faith, 
Should the day come that the Lord allows persecution in your life for your faith? When God allows the health issues, the death of a loved one, when the discipline of the Lord comes your way for the sins you're giving into, when you see the Holy Spirit work in your life to give you the words to speak, when the Lord opens up a way for you to share your faith with someone else, okay, we need to recognize that these are faith-deepening moments. And know that there is true strength available to you and is available to do the work of empowering you to a deeper faith than ever before, to withstanding those things, to thriving in the middle of those things. True faith or true strength is available to bring you to greater depths of your faith, to have Christ dwell in your heart and then overflow into your thoughts and words and actions. Would we pray, Father, grant me a deeper faith in who you are and what you've done for me and in me through Jesus Christ. Would I rest and be confident in that no matter what I face in my life? A true strength empowers a deeper faith. See this next, true strength empowers a greater love. And Paul prays that the Ephesian believers would have, the second part of verse 17, their lives rooted and grounded in love, like a, a tree that has its roots dug deep and is firmly set, like a building whose foundation is sure, so also should our lives have our roots dug deep and our foundation firmly set on love. Our lives should be in a continuous state of growing more first in love with God, of in love with who he is and what he's done for us through Jesus Christ, which then should secondly motivate us to a greater love, a greater capacity for love for those around us. John 13, 35, Jesus said it plainly, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The defining characteristic of a, the life of a follower of Jesus Christ of the church that is founded on Jesus Christ, is love. And our lives should be, this church should be, the most loving, caring, grace-filled, harmonious place in the world around us. If this is not the most love-filled place in this city, then something does not add up. You know, of course, we understand that our definition of love and the world's definition of love are different things. So we need to stand out in Bible-founded, Christ-centered love as Christ prescribed to us that sacrificial, willing love is exemplified by him himself. You know, obviously, this one is hard. Loving people is hard. No doubt there are some of you in this place right now that are bringing to mind the people in your life that are hardest to love. They might be sitting next to you. Resist the urge to elbow them in the ribs because that's not loving, right? Praise the Lord that there is spiritual strength available to us to love the people in our lives that are hardest to love, amen? The call for us is to love as Christ loved. A standard that we recognize is impossible to reach on our own, but a necessary and natural result of a life with Christ at the center is growth in love. 
and praying for our love of God and a love for bringing glory to him and then praying for those in our lives that are hardest to love and for the strength to love them is absolutely crucial if we're going to live this out in our lives. Listen, we don't want to betray the message of the gospel by being an unloving people. So being empowered by the strength that God has and promises to us is necessary if we are to have a greater love in our lives. Would we pray, Father, grant me a greater love for you and in turn a greater love for those around me as I recognize how much you love me and how much you love and care for them. Third thing, true strength empowers a better understanding. Okay, verse 18, Paul writes, being rooted and grounded in love, you may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. You don't know how hard, I, or how hard it is for, not, for me not to say height there. Height is not a word. Breadth and length and height and depth. This is an interesting one here, right? This is an interesting one. And in the immediate context, we would understand that what Paul is talking about here is for us to understand and comprehend the, the very complete nature of God's love for us, the vastness of God's love. Scholars agree that there is more than likely no specific significance to the four terms that Paul uses here that describe the dimensions of any physical thing, but they are in here to indicate the incredible scope and completeness of the love of God for us. The love of God that we see personally in the acceptance of people from all over the world, from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, right? The love of God that we see in his choosing of his people from the very beginning. The love of God that we see in the blessing that he pours out on our lives daily. The love of God that we see in him reaching down to save us out of the very pits of hell and to save those who were destined for it because of their sins. And Paul prays that we would come to a better understanding of all that God has done and is doing for us out of his love. A pursuit that we obviously know we'll, we'll spend our entire lives going after. But living our lives with a better understanding of the love of God keeps things in perspective for us and keeps us on mission. As, as we do this, we understand that we are not deserving of his love, but he offered it to us freely. And in the same way, God empowers us by his true strength to understand his love for us in a greater way, understand what his love results in our lives, and then causes us in the same way to be agents of that love to those around us and to share the understanding that we have of God with others, all while being empowered by the strength that God offers for us to do that. So would we pray, Father, grant me a greater depth of understanding of who you are and what your will is for me, a greater understanding of your great love for me, and would it motivate me then to a greater passion for you and for those around me? Lastly, see that true strength empowers a growing righteousness. And finally, in verse 19, we see that true spiritual strength empowers a growing righteousness. And the last element in this portion of Paul's prayer is that the believers and us by extension would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Essentially saying that you would know the love of Jesus Christ that can actually be fully known. To know the love of Christ for us is to know the love that sent him to the cross. Is to know the love 
that motivated him to suffer and die a death that we deserved on our behalf. To know the love of Jesus is to know the love that resulted in him defeating the power of sin and death in our lives to give us the means by which the power of sin and death, which once held us down, is defeated and in its place a hope, hope of eternity. And Paul is praying that we would experience that and not just experience it, but know it and believe it. And as we experience that love in the forgiveness that we have in Jesus Christ, in the hope that comes from his sacrifice, we see this desire of Paul for his readers that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And really, Paul's prayer culminates in this one line, in this final request of spiritual strength to empower a growing godliness, a fullness of God in our lives. The life of the follower of Jesus Christ is marked with this pursuit. And really the three traits that we detailed already that true strength empowers can be summed up into this one. That we would be filled with faith, having Christ dwell in our hearts and trusting in him, passionate about loving God and others, bettering our knowledge and understanding of what God has done for us as we pursue growth in our own personal righteousness, seeking to be filled with the very nature of God in our lives. To quote MacArthur again, he says, God's supreme goal in bringing us to himself is to make us like himself by filling us with himself, with all that he is and has. See, God's desire for our lives is to make us more like him, to be filled to be completely consumed with his nature so that our thoughts, words, and actions pour out out of an overflowing of him. And this comes through a love for spending time with him, for a passion for his word, for hearing it taught, for sitting under its teaching, for being in it daily. This comes with having the primary focus of our lives being living as he calls us to in every capacity. Of course, we know this is not something that we will ever fully realize here but will be completely accomplished in glory when we stand in the presence of our God forever. But spiritual strength should empower us to this chief pursuit to be growing in the fullness of God in our lives, allowing it to consume every facet of who we are, and God has strength available to you for that. Would we pray, Father, would you grant me the strength to pursue and grow in righteousness? as I follow the perfect example of Jesus Christ. See, we need to see what true strength empowers, and then these need to be what we chase after in our lives. Would God grant us the strength to have a deeper faith, a greater love, a better understanding, and to be growing in righteousness day by day until the day that we see him face to face. Amen? Finally this. In the pursuit of spiritual strength, I should pray, with the proper perspective, knowing who should get the glory. And to close Paul's prayer in verse 20, take a look. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. Now to, to close Paul's prayer, he uses the form of a doxology, a, a statement of uh, praise and honor to God to bring his readers and then us by extension back to the perspective that we need to have when it comes to living out our lives today. And the fact of the matter is, 
We serve a God with limitless and incomprehensible power. And by that power, which is in us through his spirit and leads to an indwelling of his son, God is able to do far more than we could ever imagine. The potential that God has to move in and through us is limitless because the strength that we need to do what he wants to do in and through us is rooted in who he is. And it explodes every little box we try to put him in. We see it all throughout history that Christians tapped into the power and strength that God offers to us are able to do so many more things are able to do things that they would never be able to do on their own through the power and strength of the Lord. So the question is, what's holding us back? What's holding you back? Truly, I wonder what God would desire to do in this place. What God would desire to do in our lives and through our churches. What God would want to do in our families, in our homes, in our city, if we just surrendered our pride, realized our weakness and our need for him, and pursued that, and prayed that instead of our own agenda? It's obvious. It's, it's clearly seen here. Our minds cannot even begin to comprehend the things that God will do. And the only way that we can maximize our effectiveness in what God calls us to do is when we surrender ourselves to him, to his strength that empowers us to live our lives as he calls us to. Do you believe that God has the strength available to restore marriages in this place? To defeat the power of sin and to defeat addictions in our lives? Do you believe that God has the strength available to call prodigals home? That God has the power available to you to save many people? Do that in this place, Lord. So the end game of all that God does is his own glory. And if our lives are tapped into his strength, that should be ours as well. Will we be a people that approach the Lord humbly, knowing who we're talking to? Will we be a people that approach the Lord with eager anticipation, knowing where true strength comes from? Will we be a people with the right motives, knowing what true strength empowers to a deeper faith, a greater love, a better understanding, and a growing righteousness? And will we be a people who approach the Lord with this perspective in mind? Verse 21, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. God Almighty, we come before you this morning, God, with humble hearts to recognize, Lord, just how incredible and how amazing you are. We thank you, Lord, for the truth that you are willing to empower us with strength that comes from the very nature of who you are. We thank you, Lord, that you have imparted your spirit to us to be able to empower us in ways that we could never on our own. And Father, I pray for this church. I pray for these people. I pray, Lord, that they would live their lives seeking to be tapped into that strength that you offer to us every single day. 
to grow in their understanding and love for you, to grow in their desire to be close to you in prayer and in pursuit of the mission that you've put on all of our lives. And Father, I pray most of all that your glory would be made manifest in this place and in our lives through the incredible work of your son, Jesus Christ. And would we go forth to share that with those around us? Would that go forth to impact the very nature of who we are for your glory? Do this, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.